A reading from the lesson of the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. Now this I affirm and insist on in the Lord. You must no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of their ignorance and hardness of heart. They have lost all sensitivity and have abandoned themselves to licentiousness, greedy to every practice, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. That is not the way you learned Christ, for surely you have heard about him and were taught in him as truth is in Jesus. You were taught to put away your former way of life, your old self, corrupt and deluded by its lust, and to be renewed by the spirit of your mind, and to close yourself with the new self, created according to the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. So then, putting away falsehood, let all of us speak the truth to our neighbors, for we are members of one another. The word of the Lord. Jesus says, I am the world's light. No one who follows me stumbles around in darkness. I provide plenty of light to live in. Good morning, all souls. My name is Jim, and it's my privilege to open our text from Ephesians 4 this morning. My wife, Becky, is not able to be here today. She had radio iodide treatment a little bit earlier this week or last week and uh, she'll be back to background radiation levels in a few uh, week and a half uh, and uh, she'll still be glowing. I pray that the God of King Jesus our Lord, the Father of glory, would give you in your spirit the gift of being wise of seeing things people can't normally see because you are coming to know him, and to have the eyes of your inmost self open to God's light. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. I saw a headline that promised renewal. A chemical in dark chocolate and red wine makes old cells look like young cells. What could be more renewing than that? Could two of my favorite treats lead to the fountain of youth? Or will too much of these good things damage my liver and add unneeded fat? It all depends on variables like dosage and genes and lifestyle. But a daily square of dark chocolate washed down with an ounce or two of red wine may slow the effects of aging preserving blessings like eyesight and muscle coordination. That sounds like renewal. But I need renewal at a much more profound level. Like the first readers of the Ephesian letter, I've come to learn Jesus. My only comfort in life and death is that I belong to him, body and soul, now and forever. The ancient Hebrew scriptures promise the coming of Christ, the gospel that we just heard and read testifies to its fulfillment. He is the bread of life, come down from heaven, incarnate in his humiliation and glorification, his person, work, and instruction. 
I confess my allegiance to him in the creed. I follow him in his pattern of prayer and in his summary of the law of love. And I don't always get it right. Truth be told, the society around me may shape a lot more of my life than the gospel does. Who forms my definitions of success and security? What shapes my use of time and my resources? What shapes my relationship with God and people? Is it our American way of life or is it the gospel? We inherit the blessings of 2,000 years of Christian history, but does our society stand in less tension with the gospel than the ancient pagan cultures of Asia Minor where this letter was first read? Each Lord's Day we confess that we have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. But the good news is we don't have to live entirely like everyone else. Our minds can experience renewal, says our text, so that we learn to walk a different path, fleshed out in our world as Jesus lived incarnate in his world, a life characterized by true righteousness and true holiness. It's an honor and privilege to, give, to live that way. Holiness describes our dedication and devotion to God. The first table of the law and the first half of our Lord's Prayer give us a good summary of holiness. We are to seek God's kingdom. Look for where God is at work in the world, in other words. We're to honor God's name and do God's will, enhance his reputation in the world. Righteousness describes the second table of the law and the second half of our Lord's Prayer. Upright living treats people justly with love, with respect for their reputation and for what belongs to them, their life, their family, their property. Righteousness forgives, righteousness restores, and righteousness provides aid to others in need. That's what we were made for, in God's image and likeness, to reflect God's justice and God's holiness. All people bear the image and likeness of the Creator, but not all are like God in true justice and devotion. That has to be learned from Jesus. In some respects, you and I live in a highly moralistic society. Just consider the immensity of our legal codes or the shaming and blaming in our political rhetoric. We easily seek self-justification and may find it hard to see and admit our own errors or forgive the mistakes of others. Our moralism may reflect some vestiges of Christian heritage, but it can also reflect self-serving and uncharitable pride. Christ calls us to true righteousness and holiness, not mere moralism. That requires a larger vision. He invites us to see the purpose beyond the rules. He summons us to understand the virtues that lead to flourishing and gain a sense of the vicious behavior that vandalizes the shalom of his world. 
In the first half of Ephesians 4, we are told that the moral vision is to grow up in all respects and to Christ, not just as individuals, but cohesively as a social unit, as a parish, vitally joined to Christ our head. We are to form a new humanity. Together we are to embody Jesus in the world, and that requires both unity on our part and maturity as individual members of his body. Christ has given us gifted ministers to equip us for this purpose, to serve others together. Our surrounding society overflows with alternative narratives that seek to divide us and divert us from it. But God wants to knit us together. So we must speak the truth in love if we're going to stand together and stay on mission together. The truth we need focuses especially on knowing who Jesus is truly as we confess him in our creeds and hear him in the testimony of the apostles and prophets, our scriptures. It calls us to honest, caring relationships with one another. We need to get to know one another and find safe ways to be known so we can serve Christ together as his body. This moral vision for life together comes to us in the Lord. That's a phrase that occurs in Ephesians about 35 times. It's very important to that letter. That is, it's a moral vision that arrives to us from an apostle who is living in vital connection to the Lord. And we are to hear it as people who live in vital connection to the Lord, not alienated from his life. We are those whose lives are hid with Christ in God. And it is a truth that can be fully grasped only in Jesus, although Judaism and even pagan moralism may emit glimmers of that moral life, the fullness of it is only found in Christ. In many respects, this truth renews what was from the beginning, the distinction between the Creator God and his created image bearers, between light and darkness, between life and death, between God's wisdom and serpentine deceit, between the inadequate ways we try to clothe our nakedness and the clothing that God wants to prepare for us. It calls us to a change of life from business as usual. Paul uses a phrase here that strikes me, futility of mind, probably a code word for the idolatrous attitudes of people around him. We're to change our minds about who God is in our lives. In place of self-centered thinking, we are to recognize Jesus as our King and our Lord. Our darkened understanding needs to receive the light of Christ Instead of a kind of living death and trespasses and sin, we are to draw on the very life of God, for we live with Christ by the Spirit. Instead of willfully ignoring what should be plain to us, we focus attention on the blessings that are ours in Christ. Instead of calloused and sensitive hearts, we become sensitive to the Holy Spirit and tender-hearted to those around us. I find the image of hardened hearts especially striking. 
Now, sometimes calluses serve us well. They help me walk barefoot in the summer. They can protect our fingers when holding down the strings on a guitar or cello. But I might do extreme damage to myself if I lacked all sensitivity to things like extreme cold or heat, to physical blows or sharp objects. I might soon suffer from severe frostbite, although that sounds kind of good today, or burns, or physical blows, or sharp objects. They might cause burns or bruising or lacerations. I want to learn to be grateful when the Spirit brings conviction about things that are harmful to my life with God and others. But just as sad, the wrong kind of callousness, the wrong kind of lack of sensibility might deprive me of the pleasant tastes and smells and sights and sounds and tactile experiences of God's world. Things like dark chocolate and red wine, bare feet in the cool grass, or the ability to offer tender touch to those who are close to me. I want to learn to be grateful when the Spirit brings conviction to me of those things that are good and blessings in my life and even the amazing fact that God can sometimes work through me. What happens when hearts become hardened to God, when hearts become hardened to the truth in Jesus? Do we become little despots like Pharaoh, enslaving others? Does our highest good become to serve me, myself, and I? Do we go on a desperate, futile chase to feel something, anything that will reassure us that we are alive? Is that why we harbor resentment, just to feel alive or indulge in loveless sensuality? Does that make us feel alive? Is that what causes irrational accumulation of things without any ability to release them? That sense of deadness in our sensibilities? We so easily lose self-control, abandoned to insatiable habits that degrade our creator, ourself, and others. And we don't realize how enslaved we are until we try to escape and we find that we can't. Bad habits run amok and they become addictions. That's what's described here as the way the Gentiles or non-Jewish ethnicities lived. They are like the tyrant Sisyphus of ancient myth who was punished for his self-aggrandizing craftiness, violence, and deceitfulness. His false gods forced him to roll an immense boulder up a hill, only for it to roll down again when it reached summit. He keeps repeating this action over and over for eternity. Sometimes we find ourselves living like that in our own minds and behavior, spinning and getting nowhere, trying to find meaningful purpose that can only be found in Christ. So put on the new self. Put off deluded and distorted desires. Put on Christ, live in unity with Jesus and with his people, and grow together with them into the full measure 
of the stature of Christ. To learn Christ is to learn a different way of life, a purposeful life with God, enlightened, vitally connected to our Creator, informed, sensitive to the Holy Spirit, self-controlled, contented. It begins with repentance and faith, conversion and baptism. We also need to learn to refocus our attitudes on these realities each day to be renewed in our minds. Refocus on our blessings in Christ, the hope to which he's called us, what it means to be his inheritance, the power of his resurrection working in us, his exaltation over the universe, the oneness of people in Christ, the unfathomable love of God. That's renewal. How does it happen? How does it happen? Well, we can begin by grasping God's loving grasp on our lives. You know, the ancient church viewed Christ and the Holy Spirit as the right and left arm of God, embracing the whole world. Christ came into the world through his incarnation. The Holy Spirit came at Pentecost and gave the world a huge hug. That's how the ancient church looked at it. Take time to feel those arms embracing you. The first and most profound Christian discipline is always to deepen your awareness of God's loving presence in your life. In fact, that's what the prayer at the end of Ephesians 3 is all about. We can also stimulate our thinking by recounting the blessings in Christ enumerated in the first chapter of Ephesians. You are chosen for God's purpose, adopted as God's heirs, redeemed, forgiven, made alive with Christ, sealed by the Holy Spirit. You are blessed to be a blessing to others. You just have to let it all flow through us. Our liturgy prompts us to adopt a culture of blessing. We bless good things like meals and relationships and new homes, and anyone can receive a blessing when we receive the Eucharist. And we can recount our baptism. Its significance should grow as you grow. Picture the death to the old, reclothing with the new. You know, God's first action after finding his sin-alienated image bearers hiding in the garden was to reclothe them. Hear the words of the Father. You are my beloved child, my heir, in whom I am well pleased. Hear them when you make the sign of the cross or dip your fingers in the baptismal font. And we can build a culture of trust and truthfulness. We come to trust each other as we are honest with each other. And as we trust one another, we find it easier to be forthright. This growth in faithful confidence in what God is doing among us proves vital to our unity for mission in the world. So speak the truth about Christ and speak the truth about your own lives to one another and do it in love. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen.